So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're picking back up in our series called Captivated. And the goal of the Captivated series is we know what captivates our hearts is a thing we're going to live for. And we pray and we hope that, that Jesus is what captivates our hearts so that we live for him. So what's going on in, our, in the book? So chapters 1 through 4 are big theology. He's, he's confronting false teaching in the church. Um, but chapter 5, specifically in verse 13, there's a hard shift taking place in the book that talks about, all right, so the, these are, this, this is the theology, but what do you do with it? Theologians talk about it in, in, in um, words called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So orthodoxy is the right knowledge, orthopraxy is the, the right practice. So what, what they mean is what you believe should dictate your actions, right? Um, for instance, I'm not going to go lick an electrical socket because I believe that it's going to shock me or kill me. Like, I'm not going to do that thing because my belief is going to dictate that action, right? And the same thing with Christ. What, what I believe should dictate how I act. And if you believe you've been set free by the blood of Christ to be as light in a lost and dying world we will act accordingly. And God gives us the playbook this morning in our text on how we can be that light. And it's by loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Like, you want to know, know how we get to be a, a light to a lost world? Love. And Paul, he, he's, he's showing you, you, can, you have kind of two choices. You can devour one another with the law, or you can lift one another up with love. And that's what we pray. We're a people who lift one another up with love through the word. So here's the, the, the what's true statement this morning. In Christ, we've been set free. So what do we do with that? In our freedom, we should be governed by love. And we'll, we'll talk about what we mean by that in a, just a moment. So let's read our text together. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not let your freedom, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, would not be con that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul what he's doing is he's confronting the Galatian people, and these people were willing to trade the real walking in the Spirit, real, real Holy Spirit power for the illusion of spirituality. Um, a great illustration of this is Catherine the Great. Uh, she lived in 1787, and she reigned over Russia. She had a field marshal, and his name was Gagori. That's a name, right? Gagori Potemkin. Um, he was also her boyfriend, so a little. Uh, but he just wasn't good at his job. And um, he was over the area of southern Russia, now known as Ukraine. That's been in the news. And Potemkin wanted to impress Catherine and to make her think he was doing a great job, even though we know that he wasn't. Um, 
And so what he did was Potemkin organized the most lavish trip ever taken by any Russian royal um, for Catherine the Great. He planned the trip. The trip didn't take four years. It took him four years to plan the trip before he invited her. And um, the trip covered a, a thousand miles through winding throughout Ukraine. So over this thousand mile journey, Catherine was just so impressed. The city, the villages from a distance were clean. They were well manicured. They were painted. Um, there were, as she would come in her carriage, there would be miles and miles of happy peasants ready to meet her and wave as her carriage went by. They were so excited she was coming. And, um, but what Potemkin did was, the four years before she got there, he erected fake villages. And he built fake buildings that like, like, you know, those old Western scenes where it's just like one side of a building. Like, and he painted it to where it would look good from, from a distance. And these villagers were fake. I mean, they weren't fake people. What they were were actors. He paid thousands of people to go stand on the roadside and wave to hide that he had impoverished this area. So Catherine, she would go from village to village, uh, guided down these scenic trails with enough time for Potemkin to move his actors from one location to the next. And um, you, you might have heard this phrase before, a Potemkin village. That's what it's talking about. It's a, it's a term that means that you've created a political facade to, to, to cover up unseemly conditions. I think what we see a lot of is Potemkin villages when it comes to churches and individual spirituality. What we do is we put up a, a facade of spirituality to, to cover up the unseemly condition of our inner man. We want people to believe that we possess something inside that we don't really have. We, we don't want to be a people who trade the inner man, the inner life, for the illusion of spirituality or the illusion of walking in the Spirit. Christians, we, we make this trade by doing things that look religious because they're easier. Be things that look religious are things that you can just check off a box. Things that look religious make us feel good and build us up and oftentimes diminish others. We like to trade doing religious things for the work of love. Love is hard. Love is messy. It's like when you invite your children into the kitchen to cook with you or your grandkids. Like you're getting shells in that, right? Every time. It's messy, it's hard, but it's a mess worth making. And it's only something that can be done out of love. I believe our text this morning uncovers two ways this fake spirituality manifests itself. One is living a life of legalism that looks good to those around you. And the other is living in open sin as a form of spirituality. And we've all seen this, where if you don't accept me, you're the one who's a legalist. 
So let's look at verse 13. We're going to walk through these verses. And we'll see first that we're freed to serve one another. Paul, Paul says that, uh, we are, uh, that we're called to freedom. And what he's doing is Paul doesn't, like, we've chopped this book up because we're trying to dissect it. Paul hasn't forgot what he said. So this idea of freedom's drawing us back to, to Galatians 5.1, where he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We're called to freedom and not submitting to the yoke of slavery in, in the, 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 the yoke of sin or the yoke of the law. Verse 13 tells us not to use our freedom as an opportunity to gratify the flesh. So in Paul's letters, this, this idea of flesh, it pops up over and over and over. And when we see this idea of living in the flesh or walking in the flesh, it's always at odds with a Christian living in the Spirit or the Christian walking in the Spirit. When, when it comes to Christ, we, we, we have been saved. And when we come to Christ, we've been saved and the, the Spirit now dwells in us. But here's the thing, the flesh is still alive. The, the Bible teaches in these ideas of already and not yet. Like I'm already saved, but I'm not yet in heaven, right? The kingdom of God has already come, but we're not yet in that ultimate kingdom of God in heaven. And this is, we are already made perfect in Christ, but we won't be perfected until we get to Christ in heaven. We still have sin living in us. The flesh still lives. So the, the flesh represents things that in believers that we do or desire that are sinful or outside of God's will. So here's two ways that you can live in the flesh. We've already mentioned them. One is to, to live in sin in, in a way that we're not taking in account the word of God. We're not taking in account in our lives the laws of God. And the other way is to misuse the law in such a way that, that we're saying you're justified, you're made righteous by doing all these things. And th this book has talked at length about that. So you, you, you see this when people, they put on this false facade of rules to make them seem more spiritual, more spiritual and more righteous than what they actually are. They, they trade fake spirituality for spirituality that, that looks good to the world for real spirituality of walking in the Spirit. This word here, opportunity in your text, look there, it, it um, it might be translated differently, but the word opportunity in the text is a word that Paul borrows again from the military vernacular of the time. It's the word for base camp. A base camp would be set up to take supplies and arms to the front line so that another attack could take place. Our freedom in Christ, I think we've seen this, our Freedom in Christ is where Satan often likes to set up camp. He says, do not use that freedom as an opportunity for sin. In your freedom, you're not to allow sin to create a base camp in your life. We're to strive that we would eradicate sin from our life and that we would eradicate the flesh. So many of us are okay looking spiritual and putting on a smile, putting on those church clothes, all the while knowing the condition of our soul, right? 
It's, it's, it's easier to put on the outside than to do the work of the inside. We act like those, those paid actors smiling and waving, trying to fool the emperor on, on their way by. But our emperor will not be made a fool of. You can fool me, but you won't fool the king. The king knows the condition of your heart, does he not? And he knows if you're allowing sin to set up camp. Famous Puritan preacher named John Owen said this. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Your sin is not a neutral thing. Allowing sin to have a base camp is allowing it to create a stronghold in your heart. And here's the thing. We, we act like it's neutral, but let's be real. When you walked into sin and you know you're living in that, that area of sin, what happens to those around you? Don't they start living in that area of sin as well? We, we, start, we start bringing people along with us. So now we're setting up a base camp of sin in our lives and in the ones we love. The devil and sin, it's like a roaring lion seeking who it may destroy. Allowing a pet sin to live in your life is active rebellion against our king. Allowing sin is active rebellion against the king. In the stillness of your heart, I would challenge you to pick that pet sin and just say it out loud in your mind. Say what it is. Whether it's your language, your addiction, the things you watch, whatever it is, just, just name it real quick. And here's the question I have for you. Do you love your sin more than you love your Christ? Do you love your sin more than you love your Savior? Because what, you, what captivates your heart, you will live for. What captivates your heart, you'll live for. And if you're living for that sin, it shows what has really captivated your heart. And look, Christians walk into sin. Repent and move on. Imagine you find this cute little lion cub as you leave church today. Like it's just out there in the parking lot. You see it, you pick it up. You know you should probably call like animal services or the zoo or something. But it's a cute little cub. Like, you know you shouldn't take it home with you, but you do, because it fits in the palm of your hand. And, again, like, you know you shouldn't take it home. It's an apex predator. One day it's not going to be a little cub, but you're playing with it. Your family's playing with it. You can push it around. You feel like it, you're in control of the animal. But then all of a sudden you start finding you're not in control anymore. That little lion cub turns to five pounds, 15 pounds, 50 pounds, 500 pounds. And it's a killing machine. The lion, every time you leave, starts destroying your home. You know you need to get rid of it, but you nursed it since it was a little cute cub. You, wanna, you love that lion. You, it's your lion. You still see it as that little cub. It starts to hurt the people in your home. And you know deep down you should euthanize it. And let's be real. Let, let's say that lion were really in your home. If you allowed it to continue, what would it do to someone you love? It would hurt. It would maim. It would kill. Sin 
is a dangerous thing. Just because it's a pet sin, just because you think you're in control of it, doesn't mean that you are. Especially when you start loving it in a way that you're not willing to give it over to Jesus. Flee from sin. Kill it. We are not to use our freedom to sin. So how are we to use this newfound freedom? The law has no legal claim on us anymore in Christ. But love does. Is, is freedom a license to sin? Your freedom is to be governed by the law of love. Freedom is to be dictated by love. The classic example comes from 1 Corinthians, and Paul, he's talking about food sacrificed to idols. Like, Paul comes in, he's like, look guys, idols aren't real. If you want to eat food sacrificed to idols, that's fine. You're hungry. People aren't doing business with you. Eat it. But if one of these guys who's converted, if their conscience doesn't allow them to eat that because it reminds them, it draws them back, and you pressure them to eat it, you push them to eat it, you push them to violate their conscience or you violate their conscience in front of them, then you're in sin. And you're drawing them in sin. The, the rule is love. Am I loving the Lord? And am I loving my neighbor well when I choose to do this thing? Christ is the model for love. He lays down his freedom by becoming a man and serving us and dying for us so that we get to live with him and we get to walk in this freedom and we get to find that eternal life that he bought by his blood. Yeah, we're free, but we're not free to do certain things. We all want to know where the line of right and wrong is. Like when I was a, when I was a youth director, and it's not that different with adults. They're, we're just better at asking the questions. The youth, they just wanted to know where the line was of sin. Like when I'm going on a date, like what's the line? When I'm like, how much cheating is okay? How, how much this is okay? Like they just want to know where the line is so that they can stay behind the line. The line is love. That's what's governing us. And if you're not certain where the line is, draw the line where am I loving the Lord when I do this action? And am I loving my neighbor when I do this action? That's where the line is. It's, it's harder than, than, than if we set the, just set these rules up because we are to be governed by love. To abuse our freedom by indulging the flesh would not be, would, would that not be an abuse of that freedom? Like if we were to indulge the flesh? Because Paul in, in Romans 6 puts it this way, he says, we're not free to sin, but we're free from sin. Do you see the difference? We're not free to sin, but we're free from sin. The Jews were in bondage to the law. The Gentiles were in bondage to idols. And we were all in bondage to sin. And the Lord has set us free by the blood of Jesus. God allowed us to come to him by faith, not by works. But now in Christ, we should live lives that flow out of gratefulness 
for the price that was paid for us. Our sin debt was incalculable, was it not? And the payment was the prize of heaven. The payment for our sin was the blood of Jesus Christ, the God-man. How ungrateful would we be to use our freedom as, a, uh, as an excuse for self-indulgence? And we see that. We hear that preaching all the time. We're not free to do whatever our heart desires. Before we act, we need to ask, does this line up with loving the Father, loving the Son, walking in the Spirit, and loving my neighbor? And that's, that's hard. That's a, harder, that's a harder line to walk. I don't know if y'all can remember this, but I remember my first real taste of freedom. Most of us, that's when we get our driver's license, right? But were you really free to do whatever you, you wanted? When I, when I turned 15, I'd already started working on buying a, a truck. I'd bought a truck, totally paid for, before I turned 16. I was just waiting for the day that I got my license. Waiting for the day to be free. And my parents gave me a couple of rules, but there was really only one rule. If you do something dumb in that truck, then we're going to take your keys, and you have to ride the yellow dog until you graduate. So my freedom, I was free, but my freedom came with restrictions, right? And if I wanted to have that freedom, I needed to walk in those restrictions. Paul tells us in our freedom... We are free, but we are to be restricted by love. Love for God and love for one another. The verb in verse 13, uh, serve, in the Greek, it has the root um, in its word slave or servant. Um, you you'll, may recognize people saying doulos. That, that's what, it's just the verb of that. So the way that we are to love one another is not this casual like, hey, if I can help you, just let me know. It's to be a servant. It's to be a slave. It's to be a slave for love for one another. So what does that look like? Jesus is the model. Jesus is the picture. Mark 10, 43 says this. Jesus is talking about serving. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That's that same word. And whoever serves, uh, and whoever would be first among you should also be a slave of all. Again, that's that same word, doulos. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served, though he deserved to be served, did he not? But Jesus came and he served out of love. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to participate in the work of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to, to love one another well, it's only done by serving one another, by loving one another. Jesus is this model. Look at Philippians 2, 3 on the screens. This is talking about how Jesus served us. He's, it, Paul's calling the Christian not to work out of selfish ambition. Do not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in every, but in humility, this is how this is how we love. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is. Um, in Christ Jesus. So again, this is pointing to the model that Jesus is the model of how we're to love and serve one another. 
Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Christian service looks like to one another. If your motivation is self-ambitious, it might be driven out of love, but it's driven out of love for yourself. Jesus, he counted us as more important. He counted the Father as more important. That's what, he, like the only way that, that, I mean, we're equals, right? Why should I have to serve you? Well, the only way that we can get there is by me thinking, uh, me, me looking at myself as less than you being willing and ready to roll up my sleeves and serve. Like, this, this is hard. And is this something we can do from ourselves? Where does love start? Where does love start? Does it start from inside of us? I think this is why we, we fall short of love so often. I think, I think sometimes we start believing, we're tempted to believe that we can muster up the moral fortitude necessary to resource love from inside of us. Where does Scripture say all things come from? God, the Holy Spirit. Scripture shows us that we can't love each other rightly on our own, but we must be dependent on God. Where does, where does love come from? It comes from God. The Bible teaches us that love is something outside of us. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And for us to love, we have to be totally dependent on the Spirit. And that's next week's text, if y'all want to read ahead. So let's look at verse 14. We're free to love your neighbor. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, he's quoting the law in Leviticus 19.18. And that's a, high, that's a high standard that we should love our, our neighbor as ourself. I don't know, it is for me at least, because I am super self-centered. I love myself a lot. Just being honest. So we, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment is, again, he quotes from the Old Testament. Also, I want you to see the Old Testament's not at odds in any way with New Testament teaching. That's what, that's what Paul and Jesus are sourcing, and this is what Jesus says in uh, quoting two different passages. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love um, the God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. Again, I just want to say that Paul and like I, I grew up hearing that that the, the New Testament is teaching something different and that they're reinterpreting this. No. The the New Testament is just rightly interpreting the old. That, that's what's going on. The law isn't bad, but the law is only bad when it's misused. Because the law is intended to be, to, to be something we act out in love for one another and love for the Lord. Think about the Ten Commandments. So the standard's love. The law teaches love. If you lie to your brother, are you loving him? 
If you, if you, if you uh, steal from your brother, if you defraud your brother, are you loving him? If you take your brother's wife, are you loving him? If, 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 if you, when you were disobeying your parents, were you loving them? No, none of those actions are done out of love. Are you loving God by doing those things? No. Are you loving God when you take idols? No. Do you see that God, the way that he put the law together is to drive us in actions that love our brothers and love him. All the things that the Lord gives us is restrictions for the good of us and for the good of others. They're not for our harm. Love should dictate our actions. The law tells us what we're not to do, but they're all based out of love. And we must follow the leading of the Spirit. And there's a lot of things that it doesn't talk about, right? A lot of situations that we deal with on a daily basis that um, it doesn't talk about. And from in those areas, how should we act? Because it's not clearly laid out. We're to be governed by love. So let's, let's look at verse 15 now. And we'll see that we're free to, to care for one another. Again, this question, I, I'm trying to pound it. Is the law at odds with love? Well, no and yes. It all depends on how you lose, use the law. Because the law teaches love. But if you use the law as a tool to leverage yourself against someone else, the law is a bad thing. And you're misusing the law and you're going to spiritually injure your neighbor. And what were the people in Galatia doing? Well, this, this, this group, they were using the law as a weapon. And think about how the spiritual injury that they did to those people in that church. Because they were saying, by, by their false teaching of works and cultural conformity is how one is really a Christian. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. A mentor of mine, um, Scott Moody, uh, he baptized me as a kid. Uh, he still, we still talk about once a month or more. Um, I, 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 I talk to him about these different things I, have, I want counsel on. And years ago, I was telling him about some nastiness that I was seeing among believers. And he gave me this illustration to paint the point. Um, he said, in the West, there are areas that still have herds of wild donkeys. Like, who knows that? That's why you need a Scott in your life, by the way. There, there's wild donkeys, and when these, these herds are attacked by wolves, what they do, or if one's injured and a predator's near, the, the herd circles the injured one. And they start kicking out till either they kill the predator or the predator leaves. So, they, 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 they circle the injured one and they protect it they, and they run the predators off. And this is how Christians should be. We should surround those who are injured, those who are spiritually weak from the evil one. But so often, what I've witnessed is instead of protecting the weak, we weaponize the law and we turn in and we start kicking and we bludgeon spiritually the weak one. And all the while, exposing ourselves and the community around us to the attack of the evil one. 
and we're getting picked off one by one. So often, like you see these churches imploding because they've used the law not administered and served out of love, but to leverage themselves as a position to show how spiritually superior they are to somebody who's hurting. And Paul tells us if we do that, we're going to consume one another. That's why churches have a black eye, right? The Galatian church used the law as a weapon and had spiritually maimed and injured many of its people by its false teaching and its cultural conformity. You might have experienced this at some point in your life. Maybe you went through a divorce and you needed the church to surround you and love you, but instead what you got was silence. Or maybe you had a child out of wedlock and you needed a support system and instead you got judgment. Or maybe you were the child of a divorce and you were going through some stuff and you know everybody in the church, they knew you were dealing with it and they felt awkward and they didn't know how to talk to you about it and the whole thing. Was, and, and instead of getting a support system, you just got awkward silence. Nobody ever asked how you were doing. Maybe you went through or, or are going through some sort of addiction and you've reached out to people in this place and they've not surrounded you and listened to you and tried to help. There are millions of situations that could cause injury or spiritual hurt. I just want to acknowledge for many of you, every time you come here, you're literally, it's an act of de defiance against what your heart's telling you. Your heart's telling you that they're going to hurt you again, or they're a bunch of hypocrites. And what's, I'm happy for some of you. Some of you in here have no idea what I'm talking about. But many of you do. First, I want to say I'm sorry that happened to you. And second, I, I want you to hear that what your heart's telling you might be right. We might hurt you again. Because we're flawed people. We're trying to love well. And I can tell you that this, this body of believers, I've never been a part of the people trying to love well like they are. We're trying. And, you know, you, your heart's telling you that they're a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, I'm the chief hypocrite. I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm, I'm trying, though. The church is made up of a lot of sinners. And I pray that you would find healing in your hurt and that we would be a place that could help restore, restore you. But I get it. We as a church, as a people, we need to realize the way that we use the law is a powerful thing and it can destroy and it can injure or we can use it like Paul and Jesus to build up in love. When people use the, the law to devour, it's to impress other people with a false sense of their own spirituality. I was asked in a text message this week by a pastor friend. He, he said, what, what do you aspire for your people to be? Who do you aspire for them to become? It took me a few days to get back to him. I was thinking about it. It was a good question. I gave him a couple of things, but this is the one that 
I aspire for us to be the most? A people who are led by and walk in the Holy Spirit. And if we are going to be that people, you have to understand that walking in the Spirit and legalism are at odds. Walking in the Spirit and living in sin are at odds. Being a legalist or being okay with sin are against the will and work of God in your life. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he called them a whitewashed tombs, meaning y'all are painted, y'all look pretty on the outside, but on the inside you are spiritually dead and decaying. And I want to invite you this morning to find the freedom that we've been set free from. We don't have to pretend. We get to repent and move on. We don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to be like these, these, these people that are always pretending but never experiencing the saving grace. Never experiencing the freedom that's in Christ. Like, you know, that the, those people, those villagers outside those Potemkin villages, they're always just faking it, waving as, at the emperor as they go by, trying to, to hide that the, that the land behind them is destitute. Some of you this morning feel spiritually destitute because you've been living in legalism. You've been living in open sin, trying to make that look like spirituality. My prayer for you this morning is that you would repent. It means change your mind. That means you would give it over to Jesus and move on in the power of the Spirit. That, that, that base camp, let the warrior Jesus come in and eradicate that thing. I heard an illustration about uh, the... Oh man, I forget which which Narnia it is. One of the it's the last one, Prince Caspian. No, that's not it. The last one, and the boy he gets tricked, and he turns into a dragon, and he keeps trying to rip the scales off himself, and it's painful, and it doesn't work. And finally, Aslan comes. And Aslan rips off the scales for him. And it really hurts. It's really painful. But it's done once and for all. I just ask that you would, instead of trying to, to hide the scales, just allow Jesus to come pull them off. Repent. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to be down here in front. Brandon's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song of response. I would love to pray with you. The Bible tells us if you confess your sin and you believe in the heart, in your heart that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that you would be saved, I'd love to have that conversation with you this morning. If you will, bow your heads with me.